Are you ready? Are you ready for September? 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 Because it's coming. Because it's coming. Because it's coming. Welcome to the next installment of the School of September series, brought to you by the Western Huntsman Podcast, in conjunction and partnership with Phelps Game Calls and Spree Extreme Mountain Gear. Elk Hunting 201. in session ladies and gentlemen welcome to the may installment of the school of september brought to you by the western huntsman podcast this is jim huntsman coming at you from the broken time studio right here in hayden idaho so glad you guys are joining us i'm really excited about this episode i've been wanting to get uh, dan staten on for a long time onto the show whether it was for school of september or anything else but i uh, finally got connected with him and you guys are going to dig this episode. Uh, I'm going to get more into that in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by Phelps Game Calls. Our show sponsor for this episode is Phelps Game Calls. Uh, if you guys are in the market for game calls, whether you're looking at uh, deer calls or turkey calls or predator calls or especially bugles and elk calls, it's all the full lineup is there at phelps.com. Or I'm sorry, PhelpsGameCalls.com. So jump on there and use promo code Huntsman10 for 10% off. Uh, let's knock out some other sponsors real quick while we're in the intro here and uh, tell you a little bit about Scree Gear. Scree is extreme mountain gear. Guys, if you're still running around in Walmart camo and don't understand the value of high quality camo when you're when you're out there in the field, you'd be surprised what it could do for you in terms of longevity, staying in the field longer, keeping you warmer, keeping you drier. Uh, it's, it's great stuff. Scree gear is going to be that top end kind of gear that you could take into the field without breaking the bank. Uh, and we have a promo code for that too. So don't forget to use promo code, the Western Huntsman for 15% off and free shipping. Next, we got Hoffman boots, the boots of choice here at the Western Huntsman. I've, I've been using the, the Hoffman boots for a long time. And, uh, I, I love the Hoffman explorers in the eight inch because it gives you a lot of great ankle support. Again, like Scree, I always say this, but, uh, you're, you're going to get a top tier hunting boot without breaking the bank. It's you, you don't need a second mortgage. You don't need to go out and uh, sell one of your kids or anything like that. Check out Hoffman Boots at hoffmanboots.com. Use promo code HUNTSMAN10. And last but not least is Tacticam. If you guys are interested in filming your hunts and getting some unique point of view kind of uh, perspectives and angles, uh, in some states you can attach the camera right to your bow or your rifle or there's the film through scope. All these all these great things with accessories to record and film your hunts to keep those memories forever. Go to thewesternhuntsman.com and check out the gear shop and get you some Tacticam gear. The added benefit of going to my website to, to get your Tacticam gear is I'm taking half the profits and I'm donating them to uh, various uh, conservation organizations. So for this quarter it's going to be Sportsman's Alliance. 
and and so that's important. If that's important to you and you want a camera that was designed and developed by hunters for hunters, go to my website and get you some Tacticam gear. It's great pricing on it. It's the best pricing you're going to find uh, out there for the Tacticam stuff. So, all right, guys, uh, what I want to do real quick before I bring Dan on uh, is is answer a couple of questions that have come in over the last few weeks since we released our we, since we released our first episode. Um, we've gotten a lot of questions, uh, spe- specifically from these school September episodes. But one thing I want to mention before I answer a couple of these is, if if you do have some of these questions, make sure you're going back all the way to April of last year, April of 2020, and listening to all the school of September episodes. The reason is because a lot of these these questions that I'm getting, uh, they get answered like multiple times throughout these. So if you don't know. Um, this year I've only released, uh, this is only the second School of September installment of the year. And, uh, but last year we had like six or seven or maybe even eight, I can't remember, different episodes of School of September. So make sure you're going back and listening to those because that is all still relevant. Uh, but I, uh, let's answer the first question from Jason, just starting out with calling and have three different amp diaphragms from Phelps. Nice job. Um... Any recommendations to start me off on the right foot? Also, do you think I have enough time to learn enough by September? Uh, Jason, yes, you do have plenty of time before September. If you start now, and uh, what I always tell people is is get your calls, right? Start with like three different diaphragms. I don't care which ones they are, just three different diaphragms. And start with those and figure out which diaphragm is going to like fit your style and your mouth and your palate and all that kind of stuff the best. The ones that, that, that is most comfortable to you. Start with that and then spend, once you determine which one's the best for you, which you could do in an hour, um, spend the next 30 days and commit to 10 minutes a day practicing your elk calls. You will be miles ahead of other hunters out there that may have been calling uh, for the last 10 years, and they, they only pick it up, you know, when it's when it's September. And, and there's I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that because you can you can definitely only touch your elk calls and still call in a bull um, in September. So uh, don't take that the wrong way. But for for those of you starting out, that's that's my recommendation. Take uh, just commit to 10 minutes every day. You could do it in the closet, uh, so you're not driving your wife nuts or your husband nuts or whatever. Uh, you could do it while you're commuting to work. Um, some I know I, I got uh, somebody that told me they they drive to the the park that's like a mile from their house and they s- sit out in the park and and uh, all the kids in the playground kind of watch him and, and he practices there. Um, if you've got no shame and want to do that, go for it, man. But 10 minutes a day for 30 days, and after that you can cut it back, you know, and and just practice uh, what you feel is necessary until September. But right now it's May. Yeah, man, you got plenty of time. Uh, recommendations to get you off on the right foot. Okay, man, learn a cow call first. A cow. Let me grab my my diaphragm. Just the the cow call. Just a mew, a basic mew, is the foundation to all other elk sounds, okay? So you're going to go from high to low. Here we go. Listen to this. Learn that. Because if if you take that, all you're doing to bugle from there is exaggerating that mew. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to demonstrate how I... Whoops, I dropped my uh, bugle tube. There we go. I'm going to demonstrate how that kind of develops into a bugle, okay? Here we go. 
with the tube. So just a basic bugle is just a big cow. It's just a mew. It's a, it's a mew sound uh, through a bugle tube. That's all you're doing. So don't complicate calling. But that's what I recommend. The great thing about starting off with a basic mew cow sound is it will develop the muscle me- memory necessary to make all the other sounds out there. So if that a, a cow mew sound is what you're going to use to learn how to grunt and chuckle. It's going to be what you use to learn how to lip buzz and and just do, throw out your your various different bugle sounds, whatever you want to learn. Um, it, it's going to get you there. So start with a basic cow sound. Hopefully that helps, man. Let me know if you have any other questions. Okay, next question is from Will S. Uh, love the show, man, especially school of September. Hey, man, I appreciate that. Uh, people always talk about having a caller and shooter, and that makes sense. What about solo hunters? Does it change your calling strategy? All right, Will, what I'm going to tell you is this. Um, first of all, go like I, like I mentioned before I started answering questions, go back and listen to all the School of September series uh, from last year and uh, continue listening this year because we talk about that in almost every single episode. Uh, if you've listened to my show at all, you know that I am like 90% a solo hunter. And that's, it's it's what I prefer because, and Dan and I actually talk about this in, in this episode. Um, I, 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 there's something about solo hunting for me. I, I love being out there where it's just me versus the wild. And, and it just, that's just what makes me tick. And I love hunting with people too. I love hunting with friends and family and, and things like that. But when it comes down to it, my preference is I like to be solo. So does it change anything in my calling strategy? Not really, except for sometimes you do have to get a little bit creative to make yourself sound further back. Uh, and we talked about this in depth with Dirk, uh, with Dirk Durham last summer. Um, what we talked about is instead of blasting your call towards the elk as you're getting closer, you're going to kind of throw that bugle tube behind you and, uh, and, and throw, the, throw the call behind you. And so that, what that's going to do is it's going to give the perception that you're, you know, 20 to 50 yards further back than you really are. It's going to make that bull a lot more confident to come in. And so with that, there's there's going to be a lot more information coming up with this. Um, my, my pal Joe Gillia over at Elk Bros has a lot to say about this and a lot coming out with this in the future. We're going to get him on specifically for a School of September again this year. Uh, and, and I promise you, he's going to have some nuggets for you. So keep that in mind. And uh, th- I hope that answers your question. No, other, other than that, other than throwing my call kind of over my shoulder a little bit, my calling strategy never changes. Uh, it's the same whether I'm with some, somebody or whether I'm not. I hope that helps. Okay, let's get into it with Dan Staten. Guys, if you don't know who Dan Staten is, you need to check him out. I have been following Dan for uh, and his, his platforms, Elk Shape, and, and uh, they, did, they started the, the Elk Collective last year. But I've been following Dan for a lot longer than I've had a podcast. And he is one of those guys that will really inspire you. And I, I it, within this episode, he talks about, you know, I don't I don't follow people to get inspiration. Well, for me, I do. And Dan is one of those guys that inspires me. He inspires me to work harder. He inspires me to set goals and and make sure I'm self-motivating and preparing for elk season and other hunting seasons that are coming up. He's a super focused, disciplined guy 
that will, he has this, just this really high end mindset that makes it so he gets things done. And it's, the proof is in the pudding. You know, he's spent the last 15 years killing over 30 different bulls. That's a huge number. So he's an excellent elk hunter. He's got a lot of experience. I know he's really humble in this episode, but he's one of those guys you can always put the money in the bank that he's going to tag out because he puts the work in. And that's one of the key takeaways in this episode is is the work he puts into it. It's not about being the best caller. It's not about being in the best shape. It's not about having the best gear. It's not about any of that. It's putting the work in. And to me, that is what makes the difference between consistent tag punchers, notchers, <laughs> however you want to call that, and people that go out and are consistent, uh, or I'm sorry, they tag out you know, once every 10 years or once every five years or something like that. Putting the work in is paramount. There are some really solid key takeaways that come out of this episode with Dan. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I really enjoyed com- having the conversation with Dan. Uh, he's such a killer dude. He- you guys are going to really like him. Like I said, here we go. Let's get into it with Dan. School of September for May 2021. Guys, this month for the May version of School of September here at the Western Huntsman Podcast, I got uh, my pal Dan Staten. And if you don't know Dan, you're living under a rock because Dan has the platform Elk Shape and the Elk Collective. He's one of the founding members of the Elk Collective, uh, which we're going to talk about quite a bit. I want to talk about both those platforms. Uh, but, uh, as is consistent with all school of September episodes, we are going to be covering all things elk hunting in September and answer your questions that I've been, uh, been getting by the piles. But I think everybody's doing a lot of planning this year. I'm getting a lot more questions and kind of preparation type, uh, comments, uh, this early in the year that I didn't, I wasn't getting last year. So that's really cool. That's really good to see. Uh, super excited about this episode, Dan. Uh, I have been kind of watching you and your platform for a lot longer than I've even had a podcast. So you're a guy I really look, look up to, uh, you're one hell of a hunter. You always get it done and I appreciate you joining me. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, it's an honor. And I wish we were in person cause we probably are 20 minutes away, but yeah. such is life. Yeah, um, it happens. But, um, I have listened to a few of your podcasts before, Obviously, anytime Dirk's on, I always listen just because you two just crack it up, man. You guys are always <laughs> spitting fire. Uh, and I listened to the one where you had uh, Dirk and Jason Phelps on, and that was really good, too. I oh, appreciate that. Yeah, no, Dirk, Dirk's one of my favorite uh, frequent flyers on the podcast. And I, I hopefully he doesn't listen to him because I don't want his head to get you know swollen or anything. But now he's he's uh, he's been a frequent flyer, and I know he's one of the founding members of the Elk Collective as well. Uh, and, and let's start with that actually. Let's let's talk about the Elk Collective uh, since we're talking you know School of September and all and Elk Shape. Let's talk about let's kick it off with your platforms. Tell us a little bit about them, and we'll kind of dig from there and go from there. Okay, cool. Uh, so yeah, Dirk. Dirk, uh, the bugler, Durham, Jason Phelps, uh, John Gabriel, and myself kind of put our heads together um, uh, oh, a year ago, actually. So I should back up. 
I, I've been doing elk shaped camps uh, for four years and kind of stumbled into it, uh, owned a gym, was running elk shape as like a little side hustle. I'm sure you know all about side hustles. And, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> and, uh, I, I was, I had all these camps that I was doing. I'd have guys fly in to Spokane and we'd teach them everything from A to Z elk hunting, including fitness and archery. It was kind of an archery elk hunting camp. And, uh, long story short is, uh, all the camps got filmed and I had subject matter expert guests like Ryan Lampers and Joel Turner and Dirk Durham helping me do my camps. And, uh, I had a huge library of awesome videos that I didn't really want to put on YouTube for free. I was like, this is like too good of information to just give out there. And it probably wouldn't even get that many views because that's just kind of how YouTube works. They, people want something on how to in five minutes. And these were much longer form. Uh, you know, Ryan Lampers doing a complete pack dump and going through his entire backcountry nutrition and yeah. A to Z, you know. So uh, I, I made Elk Shape Camp online. And I found a place to host all my videos. And I had like 80 videos after a couple of years. And I was talking to Phelps about, man, we should probably move my elk shape camp videos and, and team up with more guys and just kind of follow this, this idea, this premonition of getting multiple elk hunters together, kind of like your school September, but on steroids, you know, yeah. and really diving in. And learn from everybody versus just like maybe one guy's way of doing it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't think there was anything in the market out there that had multiple people's opinions, angles at one place. And so we just teamed up and made it and uh, launched it last July. And uh, it's it's been awesome. I think um, I don't know how many members we have now, but I mean, four digit membership and people can can't even watch it. Like there's 140 plus videos there's, and we, add, yeah. it's insane. We just added a whole, like a whole series with the elk nut. Cause he was at one of my camps this year. So basically I go do these camps. We did seven this year and we film and I bring in new subject matter experts that are elk hunters and we film it and all the, all that content uh, breathes and lives at the elk collective. So if a guy really wanted to learn about elk hunting and, and, and really dive in, it's got everything from everyone. And, and so that's mm -hmm. kind of my baby. And then I think you understand Elk Shape is just kind of a lifestyle brand where it's not about uh, doing pull-ups and push-ups and squats. It's more about leveraging elk hunting to, to make yourself better at life. So uh, I think elk hunting is a gift, man. And yeah. I know it is. And uh, I know what it's done for me. It's changed my life for the better. But when I walked up on the first bull I ever killed with a bow, uh, I had hunted elk for five years prior to that with no luck. So I hunted elk in 2001 with a gun in Washington, shot a bull 15 minutes into the hunt, picked up a bow the very next year and didn't get king, anything killed for five years. That was the learning curve years. Mm -hmm. um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the world because it gave me this deep seated hunger for success. So when I walked up on my first bull with a bow, I mean, I probably shed a tear because it meant so much to me. Yeah. And I had tried, worked so hard for that moment. And I was like, <clears throat> how can I duplicate this? I don't want this feeling to ever go away. And that's when I started putting the pieces together that for me and not for anybody else, but for me, 
I have to shoot my bow a lot more than the average guy. I can't pick it up out of the case in August and roll into the mountains and make a shot on an animal with my heart rate skyrocketed and a 30 pound pack on or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I have to show up in shape. So it's a lot easier to stay in shape. So elk shape is about staying in shape versus the yo-yo of getting in and getting out of shape. And then when I got married, it was more like, how do I balance my, all my hunting obsession, which it's an obsession, Jim. Like <laughs> you think <laughs> I'm going on year 20 and I, a lot of guys will be like, yeah, I went hunting this year for elk and their season was seven days or I 10, know. maybe, maybe 14. And I'm here to tell you for the last 20 years, I've gone every day of September. Yeah. It's just, and so I know I'm fortunate, but that's a lot of reps in the field. And so my point to all that is that I realize I have a lot vested going into September. Um, and, and with a marriage, you can't just, Oh, I'm going to go elk hunting for 30 days and, and I'll talk to you later without some prior proper planning. Mm -hmm. And so I learned that you have to kind of tip the scales is what I call it, where I truly got to get more interested in what my wife's into when it's not September. And for me, it's taken me, I'm still learning, but I have to like be interested in what she found on Pinterest and what she wants to decorate and um, what family vacations she wants to go. Like she wants to go to Mexico every couple of years and we'll save up and go. Mm -hmm. Do I want to go to Mexico? Honestly, probably not, but I'm going to, in the name of tipping the scales and putting that, like filling up that bank account full of time and love. So I can make my withdrawals in September. And then same when I had like I had kids like it, it made it even harder. So it's a balancing act for sure. But um, Elk Shape to me is a lifestyle brand of leveraging elk hunting and getting up early and doing the things that are hard every day to make yourself better at elk hunting. And the cool thing is, is your life starts to get kind of better. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love about the elk shape brand, man, is it's not just because the name might imply, okay, well, um, being an elk shape, you need to be able to run three miles in 18 minutes kind of, kind of thing or whatever stat you want to throw out there. But the, the cool part is when you get like on the elk shape website, it's, it is a lifestyle. Like you said, it is not something you don't turn on elk hunting a week before season and then turn it off once October hits or, or, you know, for rifle hunters out there, maybe that's the case in October. You, you, you pick your rifle up right before season and then by, you know, Halloween, you're, you're putting it back up and you don't touch it again. So it doesn't matter what style you're hunting, but that the elk shape, uh, the platform itself is kind of like this all encompassing thing. And I could use a lot of help from that side of it because, um, Actually, you gave me a complex, man. I I was like, man, I'm getting in pretty good shape. I'm starting to feel a lot better. I've been eating better. I've been working out more and uh, starting to feel really good about myself. And then you posted a picture with that. You're like running with your shirt off. And I'm like, shit, man. Like, I didn't look that good when I was in the Marines. And so, it's <laughs> a funny part of it, but... Uh, and, and that also takes me back, like with with the Elk Collective. One thing I want to I want to mention for folks, uh, you guys have heard me plug the Elk Collective in the past, and uh, it's it's one of the one of the places that I recommend people to go because if you if you like the School of September, that is very. And I was telling Dan this before we started recording. So it, the the School of of September is is very you know small scale. 
it's where you're going to get a lot of basic information. But if you want to take it to the next step and learn even more, somewhere like the Elk Collective is perfect. And what I like about it is, like the School of September, it's not just one voice. It's it's multiple people that have a lot of clout and a lot of credibility on the subject of September archery hunting. And and it's all kind of compiled into one area where you can you just mentioned you I didn't know I didn't even know you had the elk nut in there, uh, but you've got you you've got the elk nut you've got Dirk Durham you've got Jason Phelps you've got John Gabriel, um, and and you've got uh, Ryan Lampers and I I know I'm missing people, but there, there's a bunch in there that all have a little bit different perspective and so if you watch through all of that content. Um, and, and you kind of take and pick and choose what really adapts well to your personal hunting style and, and what you feel like you're, you know, I guess in the end, what you're comfortable with, um, you could form your own hunting style that, that will lead you to, to success a lot faster than, you know, just trying to mimic one person. Does that make sense? How I explain that, Dan? Yeah, you nailed it, man. It's really, you really need to have several different styles I like to call them cards and you want to have several different hands that you can play given different scenarios. Um, If you stick to just one strategy, it's going to work maybe, but not consistently. I feel like you need to be a chameleon out there changing your tactics daily, if not hourly, depending on what the Elks scenario is. And I don't know about you, man, but to me, the elk hunting woods are getting more and more crowded. It's more competitive. Oh, for more sure. People, the information is readily available. People are creating their own elk hunting courses now <laughs> and uh, just giving away all this information. I mean, guilty as charged. But, I mean, ultimately, y- there's got to be something that separates you. And for me, I think a lot of that has to do with just being willing to change not only tactics but locations often. Yeah, I, I love the way you put that, being a chameleon and, and being flexible because things, you know, one elk that might make a little little peep, you know, you know when they're just kind of bedded down and they just kind of moan at you after you called that? Oh, yeah. That's going to be totally different how you approach that versus the next day that thing might be fired up, spitting mad, eyes rolled back, uh, screaming in your face. You, you know, and, and that's what I like about the Elk Collective and, and having all these different people that have – these perspectives in years like uh, what, what do you think it is like 200 years or so of combined experience between everybody on the uh, maybe not 200 that that seems like a lot <laughs> but a lot our, yeah man our heaviest hitters on the Elk collective like it's probably yeah like it is jason it is definitely dirk it is definitely chris rowe uh lampers brian barney mm-hmm. um the elk nut uh gabriel who the reason why John's an owner is not because he's a good self-promoter. It's because he's uh, probably created every logo, every website that's major in the hunting industry. Wait, wait. And, who, who, who's John Gabriel again? No, I'm yeah, kidding. He, he, designs, yeah. he, he designs all my stuff, man. He, he is literally hands-on. Every, every design you see in the hunting industry, yeah, John's yeah. probably done it. And I, I told I remember, him – oh, go ahead. I cut you off oh, there. Yeah. He, I told him initially, I was like, Hey, I don't, it was my call. And I said, I don't really want to hire you to do web stuff and design because you bastards just nickel and dime us. Uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want you to be an owner. And it was a safeguard so that, you know, websites are tricky when you host that many videos and that much content and you want to be clean. And so I basically tricked John and he won't listen to this, but I tricked him <laughs> into being, 
an owner. So we would basically have a full-time, you know, chief technology officer on at our, you know, at our becking call and it's been awesome i dig it man i dig it and john uh he's i told him i told him he he designed a t-shirt for me about a month month or two ago or whatever um and i told him he's like the picasso of the hunting industry man he's just super creative and uh what what he doesn't get enough credit for though is he is a he's a slam dunk hunter man he is a freaking bankable yeah Yeah, he so. is he is arguably one of the most bankable hunters I've ever met. Seriously. And he's been at it a long time. And that's why I say like he doesn't self-promote, mm-hmm. but if you dig in, um he puts down some of the best animals consistently and totally. he's also uh love people don't know this, but he's a wizard with Bowtech. Like he can actually work on any bow and tune it like better than me, better than anybody I've ever met. He's just one of the best bow mechanics I've ever met. Yeah. I, I, I love dudes like that, that are just kind of, you know, they're they're It's like they're, they do these drive by postings. You really have to pay attention, right? It's like, Oh <laughs> damn, that's a big freaking mountain public land whitetail. You just nailed. Uh, and, and you know, him and, uh, him and Troy Pottinger are my two favorite whitetail hunters. I, I really like to follow those two and, and just kind of learn a lot from them because this, this this whole mountain whitetail thing is pretty new for me. I've always been a muley hunter, you know. And so anyway, yeah, good stuff, man. I, I love the platforms and and that's you know I want actually let's take it in this direction. So with with all that said, we've got we've got elk shape, you've got the elk collective. Uh, you said you've you've been hunting elk for approximately 20 years or so. You must be getting almost as long in, in the tooth as I am. Um, give us kind of your annual, give us like a walkthrough of when you say elk hunting is is this lifestyle. Kind of walk us through your year and and what it looks like from a preparation standpoint, shooting your bow, staying in shape, and then getting to season, prepping for season. Uh, and, and we'll kind of maybe touch on some more specific things from there. Make sense? Yeah, for sure. So October 1st is generally when I'm done archery elk hunting. Uh, unless I have a Montana tag, uh, I will go to Montana in early October to, and close out the season there or earlier if I'm tagged out. But, um, let's just say I'm usually done mid October elk hunting and I don't take a break. Actually, that's probably when I dig my heels in the hardest and start looking over where I just had spent the last four to six weeks. Okay, can I, I can I stop you right there? Yeah. What, what do you mean by you you start looking over? Are, are you saying you're kind of analyzing how your season went, breaking down <clears throat> rights and wrongs and, and things like that? Is that, is that what you mean by that? No. I mean, I we could look back and be like, I should have you know zigged when I and I said I zagged, uh, but that's not what that's not me at all. Uh, I'm definitely a fast decision maker in the mountains, which is why I generally hunt solo. Um, I'd like to avoid the powwows on the mountains of we should go this way or we should do this tactic or no, the wind's going this way. No, the wind's that or the bull's here. No, he sounds there. Screw all that. That's why I hunt solo. Couldn't agree more with that. I like people a lot, but I don't like hunting with people because um, they slow me down and it's not a it's not a fitness thing. Um, it may be part of that, but it's mainly a decision-making thing. So when I sink my heels into the ground at the end of season, I'm looking over Google earth and on X and I'm examining any places that I went and hunted and trying to understand why the elk were doing what they did when they did it. And I'm also looking at neighboring drainages that I was like, man, I got to go check that out, but I never got to. 
So while it's still really fresh in my mind, I like to pour over the areas that I was just at and expand those and make notes on on X. And I transfer waypoints to and from Google Earth, which is a huge tactic people need to learn how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I do in October is I'm actually starting to like look to next year and start looking at where I just was. And I'm obsessing over tags as soon as the season's done. Most people don't know that. Um, and I don't really like telling people that, but I'm pretty transparent. So I'm obsessed with tag allocation. I'm obsessed with where am I going to hunt next year? Cause I don't want to be in the position I am this year where I got one Idaho elk tag and that is it right now. I don't have any other elk tags. I have struck out everywhere. Mm. Um, Wyoming draw results at the time of this recording aren't out yet, but they're going to be out in probably next Friday. Yeah. And I'm not going to draw Wyoming. So yeah, I won't either. I, I'm stuck so, with just Idaho right now too. That's not good enough for me. I I want to hunt two states a year. Like that's and I do have. I guess I I just lied. I do have a Washington State elk tag if you want to count that. Um, and it may come down to me actually hunting my own. But um, the reason why I'm saying tag allocation is like I have to look at my portfolio of 20 years of putting in for so many states, drawing some. I got to start figuring out well what's what's realistic for me to maybe draw this year and start trying to plan the next year ahead of time. And I start networking with other people start literally as soon as season's over. And you start that in October. So you're, you're planning for next September in October. Yes. And mainly because it's fresh in my mind and mainly behind the computer and looking up, just revisiting my draw, my points in each state and, and kind of like the nuances and trying to figure out, Okay, what's my best plan for next year? Because it's like it's like Christmas for 30 days mm-hmm. in September. And then like I don't want to just not think about it. I want to be like, okay, I loved Christmas. That was fun. What can I do to look ahead for the next year? And so that's what that's what I spend October in. November I get distracted by whitetails. Um yep. and then December comes along and December notoriously is my least favorite month. I got two weeks of uh, archery deer here in Washington. And if I'm not tagged out, I'll be hunting quite a bit, but I'm, I'm really starting to dig in back in the weight room and put back strength that I lost through all the elk hiking that I did. Mm -hmm. And so December is a very like low daylight month, obviously. So um, I, I started the December chub challenge this year. And it, it was a uh, something I did on social media and it really, really blew up. People were like, I had a challenge where you had to break a sweat every day, no matter oh, what. Yeah, I remember that. You had to shoot your bow. And I know I told people, I know there's not much daylight. I know some people get up in the dark, go to work, come home and it's dark. Like turn your headlights on in your truck and and shoot an arrow a day in the name of better elk hunting. And so December for me is a very like not a lot of daylight. Shoot your bow a little bit at least an arrow a day and build that strength and still try to work on capacity, but mainly strength. And then same thing with January, February, and March. We're like into draw season. You're trying to look at every state's regs and go through what plan. And so tag allocation basically extends from January till about right about now. So about four or five months of looking at draw odds, going to toprut.com, going to hunt and full, calling people at hunting full um people you can use go hunt whatever you want to use there's a lot of 
platforms out there, but mm -hmm. studying where can I get them elk tags? And that's what I'm doing. And then the whole time I'm shooting my bow um, every day, I built an archery range in my backyard. So I, I have no excuse. I have a gym that I built in my garage. I have no excuse. So I always shoot. I always work out. And I, I try to do a little bit of e-scouting every day. And to me, I should define e-scouting for listeners. It's not dropping pins on Onyx on your mobile device. That is not e-scouting. E-scouting is Google Earth, 3D, tilted, flipped, and, and like marking it up and making a plan of your, you know, where you're going to go and knowing ahead of time how to maximize your time. Because September's finite, Jim. Yeah. I mean, you blink. It's gone. So it's crazy. It's the fastest month of the year for me by far. I don't like it, but it is what it is. Mm -hmm. And and then I do try to sprinkle in more conditioning pieces with the strength as summer hits. I start introducing more more dedicated rucking for the workout. Um, June, July, August. Uh, I don't scout a lot because I have kids. I don't burn precious family time scouting anymore. I do a lot of it from the desktop. Uh, I do network a lot with a lot of hunters and um, sh I try to sign up for a couple of mountain 3d shoots. I know that's uh, not possible for everybody, but sure. You know, I've already been to one total archery challenge this year. I have one more scheduled and those are really like, I, I treat those like wear your backpack, shoot your hunting rig, shoot the arrows you're going to use for this fall and go shoot some elevation, some wind, some you know steep shot angles and go compete a little bit and so i make sure to have those and that's kind of like my little recipe and then before you know it september's here and i feel like i'm in usually in my best shape of the year right before september and then elk hunting's easy yeah yeah that's okay. You you threw a lot at me there, and there's there's a couple things that popped into my mind that I want to kind of investigate a little bit with you. Um, when you talk about you're coming out of September, you're kind of reflecting back on some of the drainages you didn't hit, and you're getting on your your Onyx or base map or whatever you use, and and you use a lot of the Google Earth. And I I do agree with you with what you said. Uh, you, you need to learn how to transfer from Google Earth to whether you use base map or Onyx or whatever. Um, it's really good stuff. Okay. What I, what I was hoping to talk about is I think a lot of hunters are a lot like me because I'm super guilty of this. We get into December, and uh, I'm, I kind of go into this like almost burnout phase. And I hate to, I hate to admit it, but I, I get burned out. I, I, like you, I, I hunt all of September. I usually have a few different hunts in October around mule deer. And then November's all about whitetail. And then as we go into uh, December, I try to focus a little bit more on um, wolves and predator hunting and, and things of that nature. But I, I do get to a point where I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of spent. Uh, both, I, I don't know if it's emotional or what, but emotionally and also what you were talking about, that bank of time with the family. And, you know, my wife is like, you know, all excited about Christmas and wanting to talk about shopping and getting presents ready and decorating the house. And, uh, I have gotten out of putting up Christmas lights the last couple of years, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Grinch man. <laughs> no, <I> feel that. <laughs> 
Um, but anyway, I, I feel like as, as we get into Christmas, I get lethargic a little bit and, and I, I know I let myself get out of shape. I, I, and, and this is a vicious cycle. It's a bad place to be because it's a lot easier to maintain what kind of shape you're in than it is to get back in shape. Right. And, and I, and I've, I've done this as I've gotten older. I just turned, you asked me earlier how old I was. I I just turned 40, uh, a couple of months ago. And, and I, I feel like, um, Age is just a state of mind, so I, I'm not worried about that part of it, but I, I am worried. I feel like the last few years, I, I've let myself kind of go in the winter and uh, gain a few pounds and stuff like that, and so what I, I kind of want to hear from from your take, why is that wrong, and B, why, or how, how does a hunter maintain like this level of uh, motivation in a mindset kind of position coming from that you know angle? Um how do we get through that and and not fall into that trap? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, man, I I feel like I got to do a before I say what I'm gonna say. I just want everyone to know that I'm a pretty intense person and I'm also pretty passionate about elk hunting. So forgive me, I'm gonna preach from passion, but like, I dig it. How I love it. dare you squander the gift of elk hunting? By going into, oh, uh, you know, your little, your little hibernation den of, well, you know, I, September's so far away, you know, you're not hungry enough. Like you haven't tasted shitty tag soup as much as I did starting out to where I don't care if there's only eight hours of daylight. I'm going to take advantage. I am not going to squander the gift of elk hunting. I am not good at elk hunting. I don't have any special talents other than what I know to work, which is hard work and consistency. So for me, I can't afford to not have continuity. And I am so passionate about elk hunting that I think about it every day. And so if I think about it for one second, then I know, okay, Dan, get off the couch, put your phone down, Quit working out your thumb and go break a sweat because you want to kill an elk next year. <laughs> love it. And I love my little – I say this all the time on social media, but as soon as January 1st hits, if you follow me, you'll see. I'll say I haven't killed an elk in 2021. The slate is wiped clean. I cannot rest on my laurels. I can't look back and be like I've killed so many elk. I know what I'm doing because it's not true. Like – um, Dude, I killed a bull in 2001, and then my first archery bull was in 2006. Mm-hmm. I have, I think I'm at 30 bulls with a bow from 2006 to 2020. I don't say that to impress you, and Dirk always rolls his eyes when I quantify things, but that's that's to show you like anybody can get through the learning curve and have consistent success. If I can do it, anyone can do it. And what it boils down to is it's like, I'm not the world's greatest out caller. Why do you think I bring dirt to camps? I'm not the greatest backcountry navigator. Why do you think I bring Ryan Lampers? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not the greatest archery shot. But because I have so much room to prove in everything, I try to prioritize the things I suck at the most and put them at the top of the list. Gotcha. And for me, it doesn't matter what time of year it is. Like, I got shit I need to work on. And so for me, I want I want everyone to look themselves in the mirror and have, be honest and be like, okay, Jim, you're knowledgeable about elk behavior and biology, and you know what they're going to do before they do it. Well, congratulations, Jim. You got a leg up on most elk hunters. 
And by the way, what I just said is how you're going to kill elk consistently is start understanding because elk are very, very predictable regardless mm-hmm. of their terrain. They have the same needs, the same wants, and you can basically take advantage of it. But Jim probably has those down. So what's in his way? Well, if you're an archery guy, I, I've been, I've taught enough archery camps. A lot of people don't practice shooting their bow with a high heart rate. Um, and during high pressure situations, I don't know how you would shoot if I came over right now and said, Hey, let's shoot a group at 50 yards, case of beer on the line. Um, well, you, you get three arrows. I get three arrows. We'll see, you know, like, I don't think people put themselves in like high stakes shots. Dude, I like that game. I, I like that it's, game. Let's do that. See what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Finding little ways to create some pressure, some perceived pressure that this shot matters more than the ones in your flip flops in the backyard where you're an all star, where you're not wearing a harness, you're not wearing a backpack, you're not dehydrated and you don't miss your family and you have been in the mountains for seven days straight. So I think figuring out what you suck at and putting it at the top of the list, if it's fitness, if it's your nutrition, if it's just that you lack discipline, because I'm here to tell you, friends, motivation is a false prophet. It is a false God. It will lie to you. Like I don't rely on being motivated. I don't follow people on Instagram to get inspired or motivated. I follow my tag soup trail and that's what motivates me to like, I need to work out and stay consistent, try to work out three or four days a week, eat fairly clean, have vegetables as much as possible. Even though I don't love vegetables, drink more water, get more sleep, spend more time with the family all because I want to kill an elk. Mm-hmm. So to answer your original question is I just want to kill an elk way more than the average guy. And I leverage it so that I do things that are going to make me better. That's what you got to do in December and January, those dark months that are so far away from September, but you can start really making a difference and moving the needle in the right direction. If you can start early. Okay, man. So I, I love that answer. And, and the reason why I love that answer is because that's the kind of stuff I need to hear in in december and january because I, I i get that mentality i get that oh man it's you know september's nine months away at this point i got plenty of time don't we're not gonna go shoot my bow in the snow uh which i do actually but i that's always my excuse you know um but my biggest thing my my biggest thing is is and it's only been the last few years and, and again i i have no excuses other than i'm i i just i have a flat out lazy tendency and and I do I let myself go and then I'm I'm paying for it come turkey and bear season in the spring, you know I'm I'm trying to get up these mountains and and setting baits and and chasing gobblers and all these things and I'm like God what happened to what I what kind of shape I was in, in in September so anyway that's great stuff man um I I'm gonna keep that in mind and uh, I I'm gonna I'm gonna call you when I get lethargic like that again and I'm gonna be like dude set my mind right again because that was pretty excellent <laughs> so, I'll have a speech rehearsed and ready to go <laughs> okay man. You got a deal? Okay, let's move into some uh, some strategy stuff, dude. Um, I, I with with somebody like you that, that gets a lot of questions, and and this is why I like this question. You get a lot of questions from a lot of different hunters that are kind of looking for your advice and guidance on uh, maybe they have never tagged an elk out and they're kind of looking to do it for the first time in their life. Uh, but you see a lot of this on social media. You see a lot of it coming in via your emails. You probably see a lot of it at the elk-shaped camps that you guys do. Um, and and all this, you, you just get a lot of these questions. So I want to know, specific to you, I've never asked this question before, but what is a consistent question that you see 
that kind of tells you that there's a lot of hunters that are focusing on the wrong thing. Like they're asking the wrong questions. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So they they definitely focus on the minors and not the majors. And I can give you an example. Um, and maybe it's because I have a YouTube channel that does a lot of archery stuff on there. But I get majority of my questions have to do with people's setups on their bows and specifically their arrow selection and then specifically their arrow weight front of center. Should I fletch to the left, fletch to the right? Should I knock tune? Should I clock? Should I paper tune? Should I bear shaft tune? Do I broadhead index? And I'm sitting here going, okay, I appreciate the ABT, but if you could take that energy and maybe focus it on what I went said earlier is like, focus on what you actually suck at the most. Like if you're that interested in these tiny little details which i get bow hunting's definitely the devil's in the details it's a game of inches but you're so worried about these little nuancey arrow things dude when's the last time you put a 30 pound pack on and went up a mountain or when's the last time you put a 30 pound backpack on did some squats and shot your bow or e-scouted or ordered some real maps of some units and like studied your maps or learned like, so I don't know, man. Let's, I think let's, can we break that down for real quick, Dan? When yeah. you say, when you say, when you're studying maps, I know that there's a lot of listeners. Cause I talk about map maps a lot on the, on the show here. Um, from, from your perspective, when you're studying a map for elk hunting, what are you looking for? Yes. Friends listen up. So elk are very predictable. Food, cover, water. Y'all heard that before. You, I like a topographical map. I like to see where water is. I like to see where benches are, where the contours get flatter, and especially when they're on northeast or north-facing slopes. I like to look at like 3D. I like to look at Google Earth and see like where's the mature timber, elk-like mature dark timber that gives them shade all day they don't have to rebed um that gives them security i'm looking for where are the elk going to be and i'm also looking for where are the jim huntsman's going to be uh where where's jim going to park his truck what what trailheads is are he is he going to go to where are the nicest campgrounds where are all the four (laughs) now wait a minute what are you implying here (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Where are all the four wheeler trails? Where are yeah, all the yeah. dirt bike trails? Where are the access points? Where are the bottlenecks? Where's the congestion? Where are the places that people are going to overlook? And so the more I know in my office, the more I will be like, oh yeah, once I have my plans written together and I'm I'm out there executing. So the biggest takeaway I think on this entire podcast is this. I don't spend daylight hours looking for elk in September. I spend daylight hours hunting elk in September. I am into elk every day. And if I'm not into elk, then I don't get to go to bed. I don't get to go back to my wall tent with the campfire and the Cabela's photo shoot. I'm going to get in my truck and I'm going to go bugle off every ridge, every road, every four-wheeler trail, dirt bike trail, e-bike. 
I'm going to go locate some elk that want to play ball. And I, I really don't think it's that important to be on elk at first light because you know, elk are always moving at first light. It's really important to be into elk when they're in their bedroom. And so you've got to find elk and figure out where they're bedding. And uh, they're just way more vocal and more willing to give away the location at night. And so when you say, am I studying maps? I'm studying everything about maps, not only where elk might be, but where other hunters might be. And I'm trying to learn the units like the back of my hand. So I'm not on the side of the highway downloading new maps on my phone or trying to get cell service to figure out what the hell. Um, I just, I think you need to show up to, it's all about preparation. Yeah. Guys, that guys listening, that, that one of the really important points that he just made there is, is I don't want you guys to miss that point. Studying maps on the side of the highway or having to drive back to town where there's phone service to download more maps that should be done by September. And I think that that is one of the most important points that's ever been even brought up on the, on the school of September series, uh, because I'm with you on that. Um, I don't download maps after September one. I, my maps are all downloaded and I, I download the entire units when, when I'm, I mean, I know where I'm going. Finding a spot to hunt is never an issue. And I'm with you on the other, the, the aspect about instead of trying to locate elk during elk season, uh, you've already located where you know elk are going to be and you're spending your time hunting. I would like to get better at that. I'm pretty good at that, but I wouldn't say I'm into elk every single day. I'm into elk, mm, probably every other day, maybe once every three days, depending on what unit I'm hunting. So, um, that those are great points. And you also said something that I, I want to dig into a little bit further. Um, you were talking about, first of all, just real quick, do you, do you mainly base camp or do you go into the back country and stay, uh, kind of what's your style there? Uh, I don't base camps are fine. If, if they're very centrally located and you're going to leave your truck, um, leave in the truck a couple hours before daylight every day. Uh uh Um, so that's fine, but I do have a mobile hunting setup. Um, and that's, that's my preference. In fact, my truck is scheduled in two weeks from now to get the rooftop tent and the deck system in the back and have a canopy. I'm just trying to get my truck more of like a mobile unit where that's actually my base camp and I hunt from it. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't overcommit. Like I know everybody's in love with the backcountry, And I think a lot of guys trick themselves by seeing, you know, other hunters getting it done way deep in the backcountry. Unless you have horses or llamas or goats, I I personally think you're spending a lot of commodity hunting backcountry elk. You're gambling your time and your energy, those two precious commodities, to hopefully find some elk in a basin way back there. Yeah, uh, It's going to suck to get the elk out, and you might have one good opportunity, and then your odds go down every time you go hunt those same elk day in and day out out of your backcountry tent. Yeah. Um, bivy, bivy hunting is for super elite people that are very fit. And I don't consider myself elite or fit to that level to where having 50 pounds on my back actually slows me down enough to where I can't hunt my best. So I do not bivy hunt. I day hunt. I'll sometimes spike camp hunt, but my truck is always uh, a safe haven and I move my truck constantly and I change trailheads constantly. Last year I hunted three states. All new units, never stepped foot in, and I, I swear I was into elk every day, and I 
probably never hunted the same place more than a day. Um, hmm. And it's just because of the due diligence done and some luck and kind of figuring out the areas and what the elk wanted. And we, I'm telling you, if you've never killed an elk, being into elk every day is an odds multiplier. Yeah, totally. I, I think that, uh, you know, wh- wh- what we were just talking about with the, like backcountry hunting is something I think every hunter should try and they, and they should do just for the experience of it. But it is not, I'm, I, I, and I tell people this all the time. It is not a super efficient way to hunt elk. It's just not, um, it's it's super uh, nostalgic in a lot of it's ways. Sexy, yeah, it's super very sexy. sexy, super sexy. Uh, but but I, I don't think it's super efficient. And so and by the way, you said you don't consider yourself all that fit, man. I'd hate to see what you think of me. Like I'm I'm in okay shape, but I'm nothing on I'm not on your level at all. It, like even close. So um, let's talk about the what I was what I was uh, I'm trying to think here. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, you brought up. You're not super concerned about meeting the elk first thing in the morning and, you know, meeting the elk at sunup. So uh, on that note, I I will say I have less concern of hunting first thing in the morning right at sunup than I do during that midday time frame and then kind of that sundown time frame, the the last two hours of daylight, you know, give or take. Uh, that's my opinion. I, I don't stress out about being up before dark and, and getting up there. Now I do do that. I am not saying, you know, sleep in and whatnot. That's not, that's not the point I'm making here. But for me, I get more elk responses during that mid midday time and that evening time than I ever do in the morning, even though they're pretty vocal in the morning, they're, they're, um, I guess willingness to respond to my calls is, seems to be less in the morning. Do you have a take on that? Can you expand on that? Yeah. So man, I, I feel what you're saying. And, and here's the truth. Like I've never missed a morning. Like I've, I don't sleep in. Yeah, I don't either. I, I don't I'm either. not that confident. Like I'm not like, Oh, I, um, cause you help change beds every day. Um, sometimes they don't, but a lot of times they do. I mean, I think they change beds based on prevailing winds mm-hmm. of that day. For I think sure. they're going to put, they're going to put themselves in a good spot to, to live. But, um, mornings are very, very, very important to kind of set the precedent to identify where elk are at. Um, I do, I do a lot of night bugling, whether it be 3 AM waking up two hours earlier than most people just to go hear them, figure out where they're at and then go hang out in a safe distance until it gets light, which is a long time, um, or multiple locating multiple elk. But once the sun rises, those elk generally are going to feed a little bit, but the, the bull, if the bull is pretty average behavior, pretty normal, prototypical, he's going to round them up, leave cows going to stage, they're going to roll, they're going to move. And it just depends on what state you're hunting and the terrain topography. But like, man, I've seen elk that go six miles as the crow flies from feeding to bedding. I've seen elk that just go a couple hundred yards. It's all situational dependent. But the point of that is that elk spend 80% of daylight hours ish in the bedroom and we can only shoot them during daylight hours. So we should probably hunt them in their beds. And that's where you're probably going to do your prototypical like call in stuff mm-hmm. is when a bull's cows are bedded and he has to defend them or a satellite will come sneak in and you'll get a shot at him. Um, or in the evenings, like you said, I love, evenings and here's my here's my here's my main like 
so this is going to hurt some people listening, but most guys new to elk hunting, especially are going to hunt their way back to the truck in the evening, in the last hour or two. Like nobody I've ever met in their right mind will hunt elk six miles from the truck and hunt them till dark, dark, ensuring a two hour walk back to the truck in the dark, which sucks. Most guys are going to stage and work their way away. And it's too bad because the winds are so dependable, thermal speaking in the evenings and the bulls are very susceptible to vocalizing especially when the cows kind of get up, the shadows get longer, a couple of cows will get up. If a bull sees one of his cows up and feeding, it's it's very much in his DNA to get up and go give her a sniff. Uh, it's he's Unless he's worn out or, or preoccupied, he's going to scent check them um, several times a day. He's going to go rub a tree. And those are guards being dropped that I like to take advantage of. And so a lot of the elk I've killed have been in the evenings when the winds are super dependable, when most guys are halfway back to their truck. Uh, and when it doesn't work out, you can back out and not get winded and have them ready to go for the next day. And yeah, you have a walk of shame, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. put some, put download some Jim Huntsman podcast on your phone and listen to a podcast as you hike your way back to the truck for two hours. You know what I mean? And I feel it, like, I, I feel like that's another key point that I, I just want to kind of like emphasize. Um, and no, I don't mean to download the Jim Huntsman podcast, although, <laughs> although you should. You should, folks. Uh, it's it's a I very solid it. and sound piece of advice. But I, I want to emphasize that it's so tempting, and I hear this all the time. Oh, you know, it's 5 o'clock. Let's start hunting our way back to the truck. You're missing out on prime hunting where the elk are at. That, that I And... I got to point out that I don't think anybody else has ever brought that up on on a School of September episode. So that that's a great key takeaway, hunters. Um, it, that's what ha- that's what a headlamp is for. Get a headlamp, and and I, I know I hear a lot of people talk about well, if I'm hunting grizzly country, uh, I don't want to be walking at night. I, I I I'm not totally gonna argue that point because I hate hiking in the dark when I'm in grizzly country, and I I do hunt grizzly country. But I tell you what. You just make noise when you're on your way out. You don't you don't don't try to walk through there like you're you know it, it's not a spot and stock. Make noise, <laughs> talk. You know, don't get super loud. But you know, point being, it's still pretty safe, and you have just as much chance of jumping a grizzly bear in the daytime as you do in the nighttime. So uh, j- just use a headlamp and get out of there. I I love that point, and I want people to. I I just kind of want that to like be sown in in, in hunters' minds. That you're wasting some epic hunting time when you head for the truck at at five six you know o'clock what depending on when when the sun's going down depending on the time of month all that so that's good stuff so Dan um, situational now I'm gonna throw some situational questions at you you've uh, you've done some scouting you know you know you know where uh, basically where the elk are gonna be in that particular area that you're gonna be hunting that day um, and uh, because you were talking earlier. You don't spend your time locating elk. You spend your time hunting elk, and I would agree with that. When when you know where there's going to be elk, if there are elk in that unit, you know about where they're going to be. When you're going in at first thing in the morning, walk us through that. Are you are you doing some locating calls? Are you doing some cow calls? Are you you know what are you doing to um, you know there's elk in the area, but how do you really finite like locate exactly where those bulls are at? Perfect. So. 
when you get to your, out of your truck, get your pack on, all that jazz. Don't walk by elk uh, because you think there's no way elk are going to be right there by the truck because that is a lie. Dude. So I would okay. always I, sound I gotta, check. I got to stop you right there for a minute. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I am telling you right now, this is this has happened to me twice. Just messing around, I've bugled right from my truck and damn near called it a bull. Um, so, uh, listeners, that everybody says, I, I've heard this a lot. You need to walk at least a hundred miles before you call, or hundred miles. Jeez, man, <laughs> I'm way off. A hundred yards before you call. That's I disagree with that. And so it sounds like you're kind of an agreement. Uh, uh, agreements with that. I'm having like a hard time uh, articulating tonight for some reason. You make me nervous, Dan. You make nah. my heart nervous. What's going on? No, but that's cool that, you know, you, you can back up what I just said because it's a thing. Like people walk by elk. Elk move a lot at night. For sure. And they don't know what the difference is between a road, a four-wheeler trail, a dirt bike trail, a horse trail. Uh, I, I, dude, I mean, when I was in Wyoming last year, a couple of bulls I hunted because I heard them bugling from camp off a of main national forest road <laughs> and i was yeah. like sweet well i don't have to bugle tonight i got a bull to hunt tomorrow and so elk are where they are and i hate when people say that well you know elk will be wherever they're going to be and that's where you got to hunt them and that's kind of the, the game we're playing so mm-hmm. sound sound check from the truck it's just a protocol it's just what you do going forward uh from there I like to get high, uh, higher than the elk specifically. Um, I don't like being by creeks. I don't like being where I can't hear a long ways and where I can't put sound out a long ways. So I'm going to head up usually, or if I'm not heading up, I'm going to be working a ridge where I can shoot bugles down and where I can hear. And I'm just going to probably bugle or find a spot that I can listen really well and just hang out and listen in the dark. For bugles. Okay. Um, do you, you don't you don't have your bugle tube on you, do you? I do. Maybe. My son likes to steal it from my office. <laughs> I do. And I he has. Okay. Yeah. So I, I just want to kind of because I, I really I think the vocalization part is is a really important aspect of it in terms of what people misinterpret. Uh, what kind of bugle you're throwing out when you're talking about. You're you're out there. You're gonna throw a bugle out. You want to be able to kind of point it down and and kind of shoot the bugle down the hill, right? Um, you're you're just doing like a a basic locator. Is that correct? So yeah, it's gonna be a a location bugle. That's a sound that bulls make to other bulls to locate where they are. It's hello, I'm here. Where are you? It's it's not a threatening bugle. It's a single note, high pitch, ringing tone. I think people will understand that. It's very okay. much. A I'll, easy I'll, sound to make. I'll throw one out real quick, and you tell me if I'm off base or not. Right on. <laughs> yep. And uh, a lot of times I'll like I'll um, I might even exaggerate the length a little longer than that, just to make sure that it carries. Okay. Um, and no grunts, no 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 grunt in the beginning or the end. Just so elementary, basic call. And you don't have to be Dirk, Durham, Jason Phelps to make that an elk sound off. But that's generally what I'll start off with is a locator from the top of a ridge. And another reason why to be high is that elk a lot of times will be down in the bottoms, in the valley floors, getting water in micro meadows. That's where the good food's at. That's where the water's at. That's where the party's at. And 
as they go, whichever direction they go, Jim, if you're in the valley floor following elk, it's going to be a hell of a job. Mm -hmm. But if you're a lot higher than them, the mountains actually go up at angles and gets, you know, you can actually cover more ground the higher you are. So if you're in the valley floor and you walk one mile, that may only be a half a mile if I'm higher up on the mountain. Yeah. And I can parallel the elk and keep up with their bugles. Even me, a fitness guy, struggles to keep up with these four-legged animals. They are insane. So I like to have higher ground so that I can keep up and that I can keep tabs and that I can start to formulate where they're going to go to bed. And I have been known to slip in on elk in transition in the mornings. I'm certainly a... um, self-proclaimed less i call way way less than jason and dirk in fact a fraction um number one i'm not i don't compete at elk calling i'm not a world calling champion i don't pretend to be one and number two i've had out of all the elk i've killed only a couple i've called in and killed um and i don't suck at calling like don't get it twisted like every bull my dad's killed i've called in him for and that's just because we hunt country that you do jim you you have to call elk in brush country. Like that's, that's what you, you don't sneak in on elk. But when I'm in more open country, I will, if I have a position where the wind is predictable and it's in the morning and they're in transition and a satellite bull is pestering the herd bull and they're giving away the location, I will dive in if the situation's right and try to get a kill. But usually I'm pretty laid back and I'm just keeping tabs on where they're going. So, Okay. I I want to I want to touch on that just for, for a minute. So, are you saying that you'll you'll throw out a little locator bugle, kind of like the one I did with a, some some difference there, uh, and then you might get just a mild response similar to the one I threw out. At that point, yes. that's when so you you'll stop calling at that point and you'll slip in on them. You'll you kind of locate based on the sound and slip down closer and see what see what you can basically make happen at that point. So not always, but sometimes the elk are not done feeding and they're not leaving mm-hmm. and I'm within striking distance. You bet your ass. I'm going to go in there and, and go after it. A lot of times you get a bull to answer. Maybe he'll be bugling on his own, which is my preference, by the way. I like elk when they do their own thing. Yeah, oh yeah. And maybe he's pushing his cows and they're already, they're already in route and maybe he's talking to other bulls. Um, maybe I just got a satellite to pipe, pipe off. I located elk. Game on. Okay, cool. Now the day has begun. Now we need to figure out where they're going. Keep tabs. Keep up at a safe distance. Let's figure out where they're going to go. We may be traveling for the next two hours. We may be, you know, whatever. I may hear different elk bugle, but I don't always go after elk. I I, I strike when when it's time to strike and. If they're lingering in the morning in the, in the, in the micro meadow or something and they're lingering and I can tell and I'm within striking distance, let's say I'm 500 yards from them, I'm out. I'm going to go make a move. I'm going to get that wind in my face and get in tight for sure because there's Sweet. a good chance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I've never been able to do that. So I, I don't know how people kill elk in North Idaho without calling them in. It, it just like blows my mind, but I, people so, do it. I've done it. A, I've done it a lot. And it's, I'll tell you this. If you want to kill bigger bulls in Idaho, which is really hard to do. I knew we'd talk about Idaho. So friends listening, North Idaho isn't what it used to be. So don't get excited. 
Um, in fact, I don't even hunt North Idaho anymore. It shames me to say when it comes to elk, I don't even hunt there. Mm-hmm. But when I did, there's a direct correlation to the size of bull I killed and how many cows he had by me shutting up. And it's a uh, elk make noise. So you can make noise. Um, I, I've never called in a herd bull in North Idaho, uh, that left his cows and came running in and stood there, especially as a solo elk hunter. It's even trickier, especially if, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the frontal shot. Um, that's what you're going to end up getting a lot of times. And so it's tough, but, um, satellite bulls, younger bulls in North Idaho, they're going to come in a lot on vocalizations for sure. And, Again, I think it's just realistically, I, I don't sound as real as Dirk or Jason does. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Those two, those two are both incredible, man. I, it it, like, that's, I don't know. I'm a good caller. I can, I can always get elk talking. Uh, and then I have like, like somebody like Dirk or Jason and, and they, they start, you know, calling on, on the show here, giving tips and it's like, man. That's super realistic. So with, but I'm really interested in, in what you're talking about. How do you know when, and this is just for kind of a, a personal question, when you, when you locate a bull through some sort of mild vocalization, how do you know if that thing's a, a herd bull? So I'll talk, I, I'll talk Idaho with you where you hunt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for, for me, keep like, me in mind. But- it's, it's factual. It's not even, you can't even argue with me. The deeper, raspy, nastiest, barely sounding beast like bugle is a is a herd is a big old herd bull oh, for in, sure. North Ida- in North for Idaho. Sure. But I've also heard uh, herd bulls sound like a, a squeaky break. You know, they're like Nyeh. yeah, it's 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 a damnedest thing there. This this huge bull. I've I've seen it, but um, I have a hard time determining other than like the deep raspy. You can always kind of tell. Okay, that's a big mature bull. That's a or that's a that's a little raghorn. Um, those types of things. But when you're working in on them, like you do without actually calling them in and you're only hearing them maybe once or twice, kind of how, how are you determining how big that bull is? Yeah. So a lot of my tactics I'm talking about are more open country elk. Um, so I, I like to glass for elk a lot in the mornings when I get up and I send out a locator and I'm also glassing the entire time. So I live and die by glass. Um, I prefer more open country elk. Uh, for my style, it suits it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if we're in like brush country, North Idaho, man, I live and die by the bugle tube to get them located. And I usually can just tell when it's a herd bull. I, I mean, I haven't ran into a lot of squeaky giant herd bulls in, in Idaho, I, I, especially Northern Idaho. It's like, that's without a doubt a bull who sounds amazing. And nine times out of 10, he's got cows and I'm going to, I'm going to basically dog that herd. I'm going to coyote. I'm going to stay behind that herd with the wind in my face and just follow them because the elk don't travel with the wind at their back. Yeah, exactly. Ever. And so if I'm behind them, I, I'm not getting smelled and I'm just staying with them. Um, and so in, in North Idaho specifically, bigger bulls are pretty identical. Like you can identify them, but uh, they also, they bugle quite a bit while they're pushing their cows. And back in the older days, like they would have multiple satellite bulls pestering them as they're proceeding to their bedding area, which I always loved. I, I, I couldn't, I loved satellite bulls. They, they, they made the bull talk and that helped me keep tabs and keep up. For sure. Okay, cool, man. 
Okay, I've, I've got. I know we, we're going a little over an hour here. Um, you okay on time for just a sec? Yeah. Well, we'll shut it down when my kids come down. I I, I think they're home, but I'll go as long as we, I can. Okay, sounds good. Um, give us a quick take. This is like the lightning round. Hunting moon phase. What's your take? What what, it, what is your opinion on that? Yes. Um, I wish there was three full moons every September because full moons put elk in their bedrooms quicker. And that means I have more daylight hours to kill them. I knew we were going to get along. I, I knew it, man. Favorite, uh, favorite week in September to hunt. The best week in September to hunt in your opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know I've killed more bulls on September 22nd than any other day in my history, but Put that aside. I'm just gonna side note, Dan's killed more like that's my dad's birthday, that's why I know that. But I've killed more bulls on my dad's birthday than any other day in September. Um, but I prefer to hunt elk the second week in September. Okay. Good deal. Uh, again, I, I don't want this to get cut off too short before you can. Uh, wh- how about you tell everybody where uh, they could find the elk collective, where they could find you, elk shape, uh, your platforms, Instagrams, websites, all that kind of stuff uh, before we wrap this up. Okay. Um, so just want to put it out there, Jim. I, I'm not an expert elk hunter by any means. Uh, I know how to try hard. I know how to work hard. Well, now, wait a minute. And, and, and here's, here's the thing. I, I know you're, you're, you're being humble and everything, but so the audience knows if, if you picked up on that in the last 15 years, Dan has killed 30 elk. That That's a significant number. And you have a lot of credibility on this. And I highly recommend if you want to kill more bulls, you follow guys like Dan Staten. Let me just throw oh, that. Man. I appreciate that. I still have a lot to learn. And, I, and that's what I love about elk hunting, man. It's like, I just don't know it all. And I learn something new every day. And I so know, I just, I, I have to say that, like, I've had the people like you're signing up to be a student for life. And if you're into that, then you found it, man. Elk hunting, but you can find elk shape, uh, at all the places, uh, dot coms at elk shapes, all the platforms. Uh, I do a podcast too. And, um, yeah, man, like that's my main job. Uh, I, I sold my gym, uh, two years ago and went all in on elk shape. So I'm literally, I would classify myself as just a 24 seven content creator. That's mm-hmm. what I do for a living. Um, and then I have that side hustle called the elk collective. Like I said, it's just a place for people to learn like in depth, everything we've talked about and more from a bunch of different subject matter experts instead of one. And, uh, that's that's what's all I do is anything elk hunting related. That's what I'm into. Awesome, man. Well, I'm going to put, I'm going to put, so I'm going to put elk or I'm sorry, at elk shape and, and the uh, elk collective, all that kind of stuff, guys, is going to be in the show notes. I would highly encourage you to jump on there and check that out. Uh, you've heard me plug the elk collective many times before. Uh, nothing's changed. It's a great platform. It is going to be probably, um, like one of the most comprehensive elk uh, study courses online kind of things that you can do. Um, so definitely check that out. Uh, what's it cost for a membership on Elk Collective again? Yeah, so we lowered the price to 89 for an annual membership, or you can go 10 bucks a month if it just makes more sense to go monthly. Mm-hmm. And it's and I, I got to tell you guys, it's not, has there's no written words. Like you're not reading. It's not a book. It is all video audio only and that by design. I feel like people can play a video in the background while they're doing emails or something and pick up nuggets. That's how I like to learn. I like to listen to books. I like to watch videos. 
And so we made yeah. this all video driven. Yeah, and it, that, that's an important point um, uh, because a lot of uh, a lot of you guys out there are like me. I, I do learn better visually than just sitting there reading text. Um, that just kind of wears me out after a while. So the uh, the 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 video aspect of it is super powerful. Um, it's now May. I'm releasing this episode in May. That gives you the rest of whatever's left in this month, and then you have June, July, and August to dive deep into the Elk Collective. Uh, that's enough time to really you if you have never done a course like this in the past and you're listening to this, you have three plus months to dive into this course and it will increase your odds. I, I don't even know how to put a statistical number to that, Dan, but I, I think that it's going to more than double your odds. In terms of knowledge, you're going to learn about elk behavior. You're going to learn about being in shape. You're going to learn about uh, bow setups. You're going to learn about uh, actual setups when you're calling in a bull. You're going to you're going to learn about calling elk. You're going to learn about packing. Uh, all these things that are just the the really cool part. Do you still have the videos on there where you guys take uh, past hunts that you filmed and you kind of go back and, and and it's almost like you're coaching yourself and you're you're breaking down the video what what you did right, what you did wrong there. Um, those videos were super helpful for me. Do you, those yeah, are still like, there, right? Like Jason, yeah, did we it. call those the the director's cut. Director's cut. It, that's right. Yeah. Honestly, it's the best part of the whole thing. We need to do more. And it's so yeah, it's going back to like a famous YouTube video that everyone's seen, mm-hmm. but like telling them, okay, there was there was two days between scenes that we didn't hear an elk vehicle, or the wind was doing this at this time of day, so we did this, yeah. and the bull said this, and we thought he meant this, so we tried this, and it didn't work. It did work, and you just learn more by by having someone break down their hunt. So. Um, oh yeah, I, for sure. I do have a discount code um, that I'm going to give out for that. It's 25 bucks off. It's all one word, Elk Shape Podcast. It takes 25 bucks off. I feel like, man, we ought we owe it to your listeners if they, if they want to get involved with that to take advantage. That's awesome, man. Can I put that in the show notes? Yeah, go for it. So it's just Elk Shape Podcast, one word. Yep. Awesome. All right, man. Well, I sure appreciate it. I know it's uh, it's bear season. Um, you need to get back out there. I need to get back out there. And uh, this is uh, this has been a great conversation. You had some really good heavy hitting key takeaways that I think a lot of hunters are going to get a lot out of. So I appreciate you coming on. Um, been a been a pleasure, man. I'm finally I'm glad we finally got together and and uh, actually recorded something. Let's do it again, man. I think we're like cut from the same cloth, and we love those those brushy north idaho bulls i'd love to tell stories with you yeah and and just drink a few beers and and hang out man yeah for sure we're gonna do that let's keep in touch um and uh, again thanks a bunch that's school of september for me dan staten elk shape the elk collective you guys check it out thanks dan a bunch appreciate it made it all the way to the end thank you so much for tuning into the show we sure appreciate your support this is jim huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at instagram at the western huntsman and on facebook at the western huntsman and you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com thanks again we'll see you guys next time stay western and i'll see you on the mountain